0: Welcome back to the Mullooly Asset Podcast. This is your host, Casey Mullooly, and we're back for episode 387. I'm joined by Tom and Brendan this week, and we get into a discussion about an article from Christine Benz at Morningstar. She wrote about her 2022 financial planning tips. Uh, She broke it out by month, but since we're already midway through January here, we broke it out quarter by quarter. So, this week's episode is going to be covering quarter one and quarter two. So, we get you through the first half of this year. We talk about reviewing how 2021 went from a saving and investing standpoint. We talk about getting ready to file those 2021 tax returns, all the documentation you need for that. And just we generally just talk about financial planning tips, financial planning best practices things to consider to set yourself up for a successful 2022. It's good to review this stuff at the beginning of the year and get headed on the right path. So, here we go. Here's episode 387 of the Malouli Asset podcast. We hope you enjoy.
1: If you're I want to say if you're paying half attention and you see that the, you know, the market's down, today it's down a lot, down 500. You start to get preoccupied with oh my God, what's the market doing? And it takes you away from what you really ought to be doing, which is this stuff.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. There were no bullet points that said, check what your...
2: Check well, how the S&P is doing. What right. was your Sortino ratio versus the S&P 500 last right.
0: year? So, <laughs> yeah. While it is important, and, and the first bullet point is to review your numbers, It's it's more about things that are actually within your control. Like how much did you save? Where did you save? If you retired, how much did you withdraw from your portfolio? How much did you spend on average per month? I know that that's a big thing that we bake into our financial plans. And yes, look back at your investment portfolio and see what worked and what didn't work. But I think the the year time horizon is a much healthier and a much less stressful way to look at investment returns than by looking at that stuff every single day.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think that uh, if you're looking at your portfolio and, and how it did, it's it's probably uh, wiser to consider it within the context of rebalancing than it is to say, oh, this didn't work. Let's, let's get rid of it. Because that's, I mean, if you had a philosophy to begin with, let's say that you know, you, you had allocations to different areas of the market for a reason and one of them lagged while the other led for a year, really all the result should be for you as you know, the, the end user of the portfolio is to take some money out of what worked and add it back to the other thing that didn't for a year because odds are whether it's this calendar year or sometime soon, those roles are gonna reverse and, and you have targets in a portfolio for a reason.
0: Right, so that was, you're, you're jumping ahead of me here, but I know, that was, I know, no, that was talking good. Talking about the numbers, I yeah. mean,
2: if you are going to get into portfolio minutia, that's that's the degree to which you should do it, I think, or, right. or that's so you're saying, actually useful.
0: Right, so you're saying if you have an asset allocation, what worked probably is going to be more of that allocation now, just based on, um, just based on the performance and what didn't perform well is going to be less of that allocation. So just bring it back to the target of what you started with, and yeah, I think the first quarter is a, a good time to to take stock of that and and see where things stand.
2: The other numbers you're talking about though are, are like right. You know, uh, if you sent your contributions into your 401k, probably easy because you uh, did so, you know, in percentage terms, but you know if you hit your max then it starts to throw things off so like what was your savings rate and and you yeah. can think of that both in terms of maybe what you sent to your 401k but also if you're sending money elsewhere to a brokerage account or to a bank account to add to uh, you know emergency funds things there more short-term goals kind of savings overall what what were you saving over the course of the year as a
1: percentage of your gross income and, and how do you feel about that question uh, maybe off track and i'm sorry but question if you're paying down debt through the year and you're also trying to save, should you count that towards your savings goal, reducing debt?
2: Um, while they're both good things, no.
0: Yeah, I think they're I think they're different things. I don't I
2: don't think so. But you could make you I see where you're going. You, you could definitely make a case that it is because if you're paying down a debt, I mean it's basically guaranteed return on whatever the interest rate of that debt is but it's not the same in the sense that it's not an asset that's growing for you that that you're that you're accumulating it's uh if anything it's uh the other side of the balance sheet that you know you're making less which all feeds through to your net worth it's all sure. important right but. it's
1: a liability that's shrinking but it's not necessarily savings because you can't like dip back into a debt bingo again yep but it, it does help Future cash flow,
0: right? And I, it, it is interesting because I think both are ex, are expenses. I know some pe- some people don't really think about savings as an expense, but I think you could argue that s- savings and paying down debt are probably the two most important expenses that you're going to have on a on a month to month basis.
1: You know, if you if you have a, a a good income in a certain year and you use a good chunk of that income to get rid of debt, it's a little deflating when you get to the end of the year or the beginning of next year when you're kind of mapping out your next year and you say, oh for crying out loud I made all this money I've got nothing to show for it. So sometimes looking at your net worth statement, your balance sheet from last year and seeing the progress you made Can be a lot more rewarding if you're in that debt paying down debt reduction phase so it's important because you can make a lot of money pay down a lot of debt you're doing something really good but if you know if you say wow i didn't save anything
2: there's no tangible thing to point to like like the account where it all is or or, you know if you were spending it and not doing uh, debt pay down or or savings there's no boat to point to to Mm -hmm. say like that's where all the money is but it's an important
0: feeling i think like that is one of the things that keeps people going towards anything financial or or otherwise is just feeling like you're making progress towards your goals so it is good to look back at your balance sheet look back at your account statement see where you were in the start of 2021 and where you are now and take stock of that and if you're not where you want to be figure out what adjustments you need to make. But if you are where you want to be, then yeah, you should feel good about that. Yeah.
2: I think, so. like talking about savings rate or, or paying down debt, I mean, often when we're talking to folks about you know their cash flow, we think it's, it's probably more useful to focus on the savings rate, meaning that if, if you're reviewing these numbers and you hit your savings percentage goal for the year, say you want to say 15% or 20% of your gross income or whatever the number is, if you did that and you're happy with it, then it doesn't necessarily matter where the rest of the money went per se. However, if you want to take the traditional um, non, we call that reverse budgeting, what I just described. If you don't want to do the reverse budgeting mentality and you do want to do more of a, a an audit, let's say, um, one of the recommendations was to look at the bank statements for the year. And mm-hmm. a, a simple thing would just be to like add up all the spending and divide by 12. But even if you're reviewing the monthly statements to see outliers, if you just list out the 12 totals and then to, to visit those months that were outliers specifically, if you don't want to comb through all 12 of these statements to be like, all right, what the heck happened this month? Because maybe we did a good job of budgeting of the fixed and regular expenses. However, like what was this? Yeah. And and if, and try not to make excuses because that's not what it's about. We all have one-time expenses that crop up through the year and one time can be, air quotes here because the the thing is different each and every time. But I think the repeatability of these non-budgetable expenses is not. So if you can just maybe start start to yeah. feel out what those are looking like more so that you can just maybe even build in if you're doing cash flow planning to say, hey, we need like a miscellaneous category. And on average over the last year, two years, however long you have been doing this, you can say on average, there's been this much extra stuff. I can't tell you ahead of time what it's going to be, but it's going to be there. Um, I think that can go a long way towards making a budget or cash flow plan, whatever you want to call it, uh, work better.
0: Yeah, I know you've talked about that on podcasts before, where you're like, "Oh, but that month was that thing," and At and we time don't time do that, that every mm-hmm. month, so like yeah. that that mm-hmm. month doesn't count. Yeah, it's like yeah, the one the one time emergencies or the one time expenses, your car breaking down, the Hot water heater not working, like those things are going to happen every year. But you're right in the sense that you're not going to be able to predict what they are ahead of time. And those, those conversations
1: have happened right
0: here at this table. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, this is real life. Yeah.
1: It, this really happens. I think. And, and you need to have that, that kind of miscellaneous
0: account. That's important. We talk about having an emergency fund and having three, six, 12 months worth of expenses in that emergency fund. So I think in instances of one-time expenses cropping up, if you dip into that emergency fund, then you have to replenish it at some point too. So if you have a miscellaneous fund and an emergency fund, is that what you're, you're recommending there, Bren? I think just have both.
2: Maybe this is just like a mentality thing for me, but like if you're looking at these one-time expenses and a lot of them are just repairs on like things in the home, let's say home maintenance is not an emergency. So like you should have an emergency fund and if you realize that you're spending, you know, a few thousand dollars a year but in in like lump sum increments to do things around the house and you have the financial wherewithal to do it, you can set up an account where you're channeling the money in little increments every 2 weeks when you're getting paid to make it painless so that when there is some sort of thing in the house that needs to be addressed, at least you have something to put towards it so it's not such a big one-off expense yeah but you're not going to know if you don't come back through the statements and be like oh yeah like that happened in march last year i mean these last two years especially i feel like everything's been slow motion like it doesn't it you, looking at the rear view doesn't feel the same feel the same as uh it maybe did in years prior so it's easy to to forget projects things that you were doing around the house even uh th- this time last year yeah it seems like a million years ago
0: <laughs> yeah so an emergency fund is is more about a true true emergency, like maybe like a you lose your job and don't have any income type situation. You have those. You at least give yourself a couple of months of runway there yeah. to kind of figure things out. It's not necessarily like regular maintenance type items.
2: Yeah, I mean, listen. At the end of the day, cash is cash, and if, if- you need money for something and it's in the special bucket for emergencies or home maintenance or whatever. Like, yeah, it's all fungible. Like you can use it for whatever you want, but just there are a lot of one-time lump sum expenses that you can make into budgetable items if you want to, but to just fill up the budget with the actual recurring expenses and, and neglect these things that happen, uh, you know, not frequently or not on a regular schedule. I think you're setting yourself up for, a bad time when it comes to cash flow and budgeting if you're just ignoring them. So at least you know try to figure out what they've looked like over the last year if you're reviewing this stuff, and maybe make some adjustments going forward as a result.
0: Yeah. So some of the other um, suggestions for quarter one financial planning topics to consider is to revisit your retirement plan contributions because the contributions are bumping up in 2022. The contribution limit for 401ks is now going to be twenty thousand five hundred dollars, and for those over age fifty, is going to be twenty seven thousand dollars.
1: So I, uh, I I know that if you work for a big company, they're probably going to send you a reminder in December for payroll purposes that uh, hey, we're you know if you want to max out, you've got to do X amount of dollars out of each paycheck. But you know we're a small business and. Uh, I would usually sit down on January 16th in previous years and say, oh, man, I didn't change that, and now I have to try and figure out how to cram all of that into 23 paychecks instead of 24 paychecks." Is things like that? Yeah, you know, you really want to be on on top of that. It, it would be best if you did that before the end of the year, right? And not wait till the beginning. You know.
0: Don't wait too long. Yeah, it's important to stay on top of this stuff. And the big the big one at the end of of the first quarter is to and you can start doing this now if or at least in the next couple of weeks is to start gathering your tax information, your your tax documentation, check in with your tax professional to see what they need, at the very least make sure you have you know, any 1099s you might have, your W-2 for the year, and, um, you know, gather your receipts for any possible deductions that you might have. The standard deduction for 2021 tax year is $12,550. If you're married, it's going to be $25,100. I just wanted to kind of pause and talk about examining your W-2s and how much information you can, you can glean from those. I know that that's one of the things that we talk about when we're gathering documentation for new clients that we're onboarding. I kind of think that some people just get their paychecks and then they know what the direct deposit is, but they don't actually look at the checks. Uh, they don't open the checks themselves. They might just file them in a filing cabinet or stick them in a folder. There's a lot of information especially tax withholding information that can be found on there. So, what should people be looking for on their W2s?
2: First thing that comes to mind if you're just looking at, you know, the pay stub versus what you get on W2s if you're a high earner and you make more than the threshold for what social security collects, that can be a discrepancy based on, you know, if you're looking at your paycheck in October, uh, it may not look the same as your paycheck in January, and the W-2 is going to tell the actual tale, meaning, uh, you know, they'll show you when you, you hit the cap for Social Security earnings, that no longer is deducted from your pay automatically, so you get a raise until the end of the year. Same would go for your 401k. If you hit the maximum this year coming up, as Casey mentioned, 20500 if you hit that maximum at any point throughout the year instead of hitting it on the button with your last contribution... Um, you're going to have more in your paycheck then. So the paycheck is great and it's going to tell you breakdown of, of what's happening for that snapshot in time, but it might not speak to the broader picture if you're trying to understand over the course of the calendar year what the heck happened. And uh, so W-2 can be useful to review from that standpoint.
1: I'll, I'll also add that I think a lot of people, you know, in past years, they would fill out a W-4 form and they would calculate how many exemptions they were they were going to take. and I just think that's such a convoluted way of doing things. I think a good practice for folks would be to look at your paycheck, see how much is taken out for federal tax, and divide that number back into the gross the, the gross amount of your check, and see how much like what percent of your paycheck is going off the top for federal taxes. I think you'd be surprised. Uh, and then, you know, keep that number in the back of your mind when you get your tax return back from your tax preparer and see how much tax actually was paid.
2: I think a lot of people will probably be surprised in a positive way if they're calculating their what they're calculating there is their effective rate. And a lot of people are more concerned with you know, their marginal tax bracket, meaning what where where in the bracket system, do I fall? Um, Which isn't the top number. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So uh, I think that that can definitely be a helpful exercise to do. And I guess the whenever I'm looking at a W-2 form, I guess the the wage number that's probably simplest for people to use, depending on all the other different pre-tax contributions they're doing is there's a line for your Medicare wages, which would be the correct one to use, because that is your gross income prior to you know, if you're looking at the W-2, they spit out for your federal return. It's not going to include stuff like your 401k contributions, uh, contributions for health insurance, uh, if you're doing an HSA, things like that. Here in New Jersey, that's going to be even the New Jersey and the federal one will disagree on some, some items. And so that, that Medicare line should be the same on all of them. And that should be the the top the number, I guess, to use in, in that recommended
1: Hundred percent. That's that is the number to use. Use
0: the Medicare number all the time. So we have um, we've talked about marginal versus effective tax rate before. So we'll link that up in the show notes if you need a refresher on that. Moving into quarter two here, April eighteenth is tax day for 2020, 2021 taxes. But something that we've um, ran into in the last couple of weeks is you can still make twenty twenty one contributions to IRAs and HSAs up to tax day in which will be April 18th. So you can make 2021 contributions to IRAs and HSAs up to that day. Also, if you need to file an extension, that is an important day. You have to have that request um, filed by April 18th. A lot to consider and a lot of moving parts in the first quarter um, financially. Speaking as we move further out into, you know, into April, May, June, things kind of start to slow down once you get your your tax returns back, you can kind of see how that went. And um, one of the suggestions for the second quarter was to kind of organize your all of your statements and documentations. You know, you had to gather a lot of information for tax time so you know if you're like me you might have your medical bills from you know the 2014-15 lying around in that filing cabinet so once tax time has passed it is a good opportunity to kind of declutter yourself and only keep the information the, the last couple years of information that you need at hand so you're just Clean and organized, and you set yourself up to to move forward for the rest of the year.
1: I think there's uh, always the urge at the beginning of every year to say, "This is the year I'm going to do it right, and I'm going to be totally organized, and I'm going to be I'm going to file everything away, and I'm going to have folders set up, and I can show you empty folders from 2004, 2011, 1998." Uh, so I've tried this many times. To, in January, this is the year that I'm going to do it. And Christine Benz in this article raised a really good point. Like, don't like, don't do that. Like, you should really think about doing that in April after your taxes are filed, or even better in May. You've already got a couple of months now of documents, of statements, of you know things you've already made a quarterly estimated payment perhaps so these are this is a really good time to be doing this april may june in the second quarter
2: also probably the best time to rectify any mistakes you know, regardless of whether it was a withholding discrepancy or whatever it cause it. if there were issues with your tax return and you owed money which nobody is ever happy with once you have that information you could begin to rectify that for for the following year if there's going to be the same same issue again i mean obviously if it was a one-time thing then you know it's a one-time thing but try to wrap your head around what caused you to owe money and to what extent and whether you're comfortable with that or not and and you can you can make changes in the second quarter that have plenty of time to filter through to the bottom line before years end it's uh ticking clock though so the longer you wait the shorter runway you have to implement change and if you're a regular old W two employee, then uh, you know each pay period that passes is is I think as Tom alluded to one opportunity out the door to uh, make a change that needs to happen more incremental.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I think on the other on the other end, if if you're getting a refund, I know we talked about the emergency fund before, but if you get a refund, I think and it's,
1: uh, Cancun money, right?
0: Uh, uh, come on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> blowing up my spot. Uh I was gonna say you could pad your emergency fund because if you're not doing it from cash flow, then where's it gonna come from? You're unless you win your fantasy football league, then you're not gonna get a couple hundred bucks or you're not gonna get a, a lump sum payment like a like a tax refund. You talking your book there, Case? I did win my fantasy football league this year, so uh I just wanted to get that in there.
1: You're getting a ten ninety nine for that? No.
0: So think about it, you know, maybe do something fun with it partially or or save some of it as well. Um, And if
2: it's it's enough to split up, I'm telling you right now that you got to figure something out with your withholdings for next year. You're just, I understand that like for some people, if it's one or the other, you'd rather be over withheld and get a refund than than the reverse. But if you're talking like a few thousand bucks and you can figure out how to divvy it up, then like you got to get better with the withholdings. Just giving the government your money for no reason.
1: I was just gonna say I can be the old guy saying, get off my lawn, like you just gave a free loan to the you yeah. to Uncle Sam. I was
2: trying to refrain from saying that because it's like the <laughs> the grumpy thing to say and everybody knows it because they've been told it a million times, but it's true. So like if it's if it's enough for it to be like a windfall sort of mm. a thing for you, like figure it out and if you need to get it out of sight, out of mind, then you can automate something to send it where it should be, whether it's your emergency right. fund, an investment account. Or it could be, again, like I'm a big proponent of the buckets. If we talked about the home ma- home maintenance one before, you can have another one that's for like Cancun or like your yeah. fun your fun stuff or the Atlantic City money or whatever the case is. Brendan buckets. Yeah, <laughs> that's fine. I'll, I'll accept that. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So like, if you can you can automate it and channel it to be where it needs to, rather than letting payroll run that operation for you uh, and then having it sit with the IRS for. 10 months until you get it back
0: yeah so the other i know we talked about uh organization there these days everyone has about a dozen plus online accounts that includes financial institutions like banks or retirement accounts so make sure you're uh you have that information on hand if you haven't logged in in a year or so, it might be a good time to log in there, check check things, and, and make sure you can at least access that. Yeah, Q2 is all about organization, kind of uh, you know, making adjustments. You do still have six months plus at least to make adjustments for the rest of the year. So um, quarter two, April, May, June is a good time to do that. That's going to do it for episode 387 of the Malulie Asset Podcast. We know that there is a lot of stuff in there, but hey, the beginning of the year is a busy time financially speaking. So we'll be back with quarter three and quarter four. So the second half of 2022, what to expect there, some things to look out for and to plan for in the later half of this year. That'll be episode 388 and we'll see you then. Thanks as always for listening.